0: a hole become a well? Not a trick question. Uh, it's when you dig deep enough that water starts to appear, as it did as I dug a hole for the new whirligig for the garden, you know that thing with the old washing on it? Uh, it was only that deep and it's still saturated in water. Anyway, I, I think more often you dig a bit deeper than that before you hit water in a sustainable way. So when does a hole become a well? Today we're going to look at another encounter that somebody had with Jesus to continue our series, and we're going to be in John chapter 4. It's a fascinating, uh, profound uh, passage in the Bible, and it's going to come to you on some leaflets. Uh, It's too much, really, to show on the projector, but you may have a Bible, in which case you can turn yourself to John chapter 4. I'm going to read the vast majority of the chapter. But trust me, it's a good one. Uh, It's full of narrative and discussion and conversation. I don't mind a bit of hubbub as that goes around. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we're told to approach it with fear and trembling. And appropriately, we do so this morning. This is your living word. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal things to us. You would speak to us. You would impart something to us that would do us good, bring you glory and advance your kingdom on earth as we've been praying in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You can follow it there in your handout or in the Bible. Um, I'm particularly interested in the conversation between Jesus and this woman. And I've even highlighted in the text you've got there, different colors for the two of them to help you pick it out. This is how it goes. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, that's how I'm pronouncing it anyway. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. John's adding some helpful commentary as we go, by the way. That's him speaking there, the one who wrote it. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you go to get this, uh, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, "Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. but, But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, Lord Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Got to carry on, you've got to read the rest of this. Just then his disciples returned, were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Uh, His disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. got to read the last bit, sorry. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Hope you entered into the drama of it. And Where can I put that? I'll put it down here. Here we go. I feel that God set me up rather this morning for this. Uh, it's only been a couple of weeks since we launched the King's Sowers. And some of us got a postcard, and there's one for everybody. And on the back, we've been encouraged to pray that we'd have deeper conversations with some people. I hope you have had time to fill it in. If not, do so. The time for praying that we'd have deeper conversations. It was interesting that uh, Quincy used that form of words when designing the postcard this year. We've done similar things in the past, but never has it said that we would have deeper conversations with people. I feel God set me up. I feel God set me up because we're looking at a chapter that Claudine only preached on a couple of years ago, and it was very good. It doesn't need any correction. Uh, Yet in our decision-making, arbitrarily perhaps, we decided John 4 for today. John 4, let me tell you, is a masterclass of deeper conversations. It's the best case example, I think, that Jesus has given us from his life of a deeper conversation that led to somewhere, led to the breakout of salvation. This whole passage, I believe, is all about sowing and reaping. So when the disciples returned, got back from the town with lunch, dinner, whatever they had, and they met with Jesus, the woman had gone, they taught, Jesus talked about sowing and reaping. That was his topic. That's what he referred them to. That's what this passage is all about. And I believe there's a promise in there, and a promise is true for us today. Not just generally, but I believe for us, if you like, prophetically. Yes, we're to be king sowers. This is the time to be king sowers. We're good, aren't we, at seeing the fields tilled for sowing. We see across the people we know, and across the nation and the nations of this world, uh, the soil has been churned up by events, by circumstances, by hardship, by difficulties, by uncertainties. The the fields are tilled for sowing. And we know we've got to liberally spread the seed, the seed of the gospel, of God's truth. But Jesus says to his disciples then, he says to us now, it is also time for king's reapers. It is also time for king's reapers. That is what he was getting so excited about with his disciples. That's why he said now's the time where the sower and the reaper are going to do stuff Together at the same time. You, you used to have seasons for this. You used to have a season of sowing, and you used to have to wait, and then there'll be reaping. I'm telling you, now is a day for sowing and reaping. That was against the agricultural norms, but this is a different type of agriculture. And, and he was trying to explain to the disciples: look, look, we haven't sowed in Samaria, but somebody has. In fact, years and years ago, they, of course, are rooted in the people of God, ethnically. They see some of them, like this lady, uh, uh, an identity with Jacob still. There have been prophets sent over hundreds of years, many, many years ago, kind a of warning and challenging these people. There's been sowing going on. Now is the time. You reaped what you didn't sow. That wasn't really their experience. Everywhere else they'd gone, in Judea, Galilee, they tended to sow and see some reaping. But this was different. And I think God would say to us, yes, you've, you've been sowing. And sometimes you're trusting God and it's right to do that. Somewhere the, the reaping will happen. Maybe not here. Maybe not with us. Maybe not in these days. We'll never know. Sometimes we do know. It's wonderful when we do know. But I think God would just say, no, no, the, the equation's going to come round, And we're going to see reaping like we're seeing sowing. I believe that's what he was encouraging the disciples then. And that's how he's encouraging us now. I do trust you've filled in yours, because I do do feel that uh, John 4 helps us to understand what we're praying for when we're praying for deeper conversations. That's where my heart has been led as I've been preparing this. I've got some names on mine. I've got some family members. I've sewed in their lives a little bit here and there. Sometimes well, I thought. Sometimes something clever, I thought. Sometimes just with a fumble. <laughs> Sometimes my best uh, evangelism, personally. I've got some names from people from my badminton club. I've been there for four years. I've had a couple of little conversations. I'm kicking myself from one the other week. It was an open goal of an opportunity to kind of uh, fashion the agenda of the conversation. And what did I end up talking about? Time management. How? how why? I kicked myself afterwards. At best, he may go away thinking, well, at least Christians are quite good at time management. But I don't know if that's going to be, oh, oh, Lord, give me more opportunities with these people. But I'm in the conversation. With these guys I see them every week I've got some neighbors down here lived in our house for almost four years I've had some snippets I've had some conversations I want deeper conversations with these guys another name of somebody I I know and just met in the street and keep bumping into I think John Ford's gonna help us to know what to pray for and then to know what to look out for when our prayers being answered so what is it I say to myself with some of these familiar names on my card what is it Lord that's gonna unlock their hearts what is it, Lord? It's going to unlock their hearts? Well, I think some of the time, it's going to be what unlocked this lady's heart in John chapter four. Maybe we've not accounted for these kind of keys, if you like. What was the, the pivot moment in this whole encounter? This detailed conversation. you know, the seven sections to this conversation. He said, she said, he said. It's deep. It goes a long way. But the moment that opened her heart, I believe, was the moment when Jesus received a revelation from the Holy Spirit. He's had five husbands. And he's living with someone who isn't a husband. He received that. He received that directly from the Holy Spirit. That, if you look at the story, I believe, is what unlocked her heart. That's why we haven't just got some clever things that Jesus said that we can preach from about worship and spirit and truth and living water. That's why we've got an account of someone coming to faith in here. Because Jesus received something supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people call this prophetic evangelism. I've heard that. Some people call this being charismatical, being missional in a charismatic way, charismatic referring to churches that are open to the gifting of the Holy Spirit, or whatever we call it. It's just Jesus modeling it right here for us right now. And I tell you, I I feel the challenge of this. Lord, I don't know if I can share many examples from my life to encourage people at Kings, but we've got this example at least from Jesus. But I also feel released because I'm a bit lousy at the seven-stage conversation uh, bringing somebody around from kind of a drink of water to faith in Jesus. <laughs> How do you do that? I'm not too good at that, but you never know. I know the Holy Spirit, and he's gifted me in other places and contexts. Maybe, maybe he can gift me again in this context. I trust also it'll be releasing to some of you who may be frustrated. You're great at personal evangelism. You're there. You've got things to share. You're responsive. You're sensitive, yet you're still frustrated at the amount of fruit. I've seen some, but I want to see so much more. I just wonder whether we need to be open to God moving and using us more like this on occasions. I do believe it was key. I want to convince you that it was key to this conversation. I want to to help you understand that all the clever and amazing things that Jesus said, and he did. And Jesus was a genius. He is a genius. Uh, in his conversation we could look at the metaphors we could we could look at the uh, the riddles if you like we could look at all the things he used to entice and intrigue and interest her she was growing in interest yet all the clever things jesus said it was none of those that won her heart we get her testimony twice in verse 29 and 39 she went away and she said come and see come and see come and see this man who told me about a magic tap i can have my house with living water in it no she didn't say that She didn't say, come and see, come and see, come and see. Uh, Come and see this man who told me about the mountains, the fact we don't have to worry about which mountain we're worshipping on. No, she didn't say that. She said, come and see, come and see this man who told me everything I did. It was a prophetic word. It was the insight that God had gifted Jesus with in that moment that unlocked her heart. It was that testimony that the town heard and came looking to see. While Jesus was in conversation with the woman, he was in conversation with the Holy Spirit. This wasn't guesswork. This this wasn't Jesus had got spies and they'd gone out into the towns around and got some intelligence and reported back to him secretly, whispered. It wasn't that. This wasn't Jesus using some kind of Sherlock Holmes-type strategy of um, the science of deduction. He'd maybe noticed her ring finger had lots of indents in it at different levels. Uh, and, and he concluded, well, this is, this is a very super off-peak moment for becoming, coming to the well. That's why you're on your own. You must be hiding something. Oh, five husbands, and now you're not living with someone. who's... No, I don't think it was that. This was a gift of the Holy Spirit, revelation straight from the heart of God. And it was limited. That's all he possibly knew. Five husbands. You don't know why he'd had five husbands. You don't know what's wrapped up in that, what pain necessarily was in all of that. And something about our current situation. Whether you call it a prophecy or a word of knowledge, I don't really know. People have kind of debated that, and it's really potato-potato. It was a revelation from the Holy Spirit, and we can find a label for it if we want to, but it's there. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe also that Jesus may have received in this moment a gift of wisdom. It all depends. We don't know when he got this revelation. Did he get it after or before he said, go and get your husband? Maybe got it after. But I wonder whether we got it before. And this was a gift of wisdom about how to open up the subject. He kind of, he knew it was wrong, perhaps. He knew she didn't have a husband. But it, it, by doing so, it won her. It gave her an opportunity to receive this and not be repelled by this. I believe also that Jesus demonstrated love and compassion and grace in all of this, which is so essential. That's why we've got one, Corinthians chapter 13, a, a magnificent passage on love, read out at weddings, and why not? We want our marriages to be full of this kind of love. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not boast, It is not proud, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's actually in context about, about spiritual gifts. If we use spiritual gifts without love, it's a mess, it's a noise, it's catastrophe and damage. Jesus was using some potentially dynamite information from the Holy Spirit, but in a loving and caring way that won this woman to him, to faith. You might think, well, that's lovely. Jesus did this, but he did lots of other things as well. So this is one tool, perhaps, in our toolbox. This is one way in which our personal evangelism may bear fruit. But I I, I believe, actually, this was normal for Jesus. We may have touched upon it as we've gone through this series, some of the other encounters that people had. Zacchaeus was up a tree. Jesus knew his name. Zacchaeus, come down. He just arrived in town. Revelation from God about the guy's name came down. Even the guys who made a hole in the ceiling and lowered the guy down on a mat, the paralytic, Jesus saw, discerned their faith, and then said, you're forgiven. As he sent by the Spirit a discerning of their faith and we could see again and again you go through all the gospel accounts i love to do this uh, and see the gifts of the spirit that jesus is using because we need to realize paul the apostle paul the early church didn't invent the gifts of the holy spirit they were there jesus was modeling them if you come to the spirit filled and gifted uh training track discipleship track that i've run before we we sometimes look at that and point that out and see the many occasions that jesus used the spiritual gifts What was the first use of a spiritual gift that Jesus ever performed? Sometimes we talk about the water into wine as being the first miracle, don't we? I think there was another gift of the Spirit before that. If you look back into John chapter 1, you see an encounter that um, Nathanael had with Jesus. Um, Chapter 1 verse... uh, Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael, told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I mean, that looks a little bit random and broad and general to, to us, doesn't it? But it meant something to Nathaniel because he said this. How do you know me? Yeah? You've got some revelation. You shouldn't know this, Jesus, about me. Something about how I think about myself, perhaps. Something about uh, my character, who I really am. Jesus knew him exactly. Maybe the form of words that are lost in the translation, I don't know. But truly, this is an adrolyte in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Undone. He was just saying, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Oh, how do you know me? the Spirit of God. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. We might think, well, maybe Jesus saw him in a distance under a fig tree. No, this is in the spirit. I saw you. You were under a fig tree earlier. He was on his own, perhaps. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He'd gone from oh, nothing has come out of Nazareth, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. We've Two, perhaps, gifts of the Spirit. Insight, revelation that Jesus received, that unlocked his heart. It goes on and gives him some more prophetic stuff about the future, which just completely undoes him. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. This is normal for Jesus. This is normal, I would suggest to you also, for Christianity. A familiar passage, perhaps, and I know it's about corporate worship and our gatherings together, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24, 25. Uh, after a good couple of chapters all about the the spiritual gifts, it said this, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Wow. I want to see that. I want to see that more and more. We love spiritual gifts operating in our church gatherings, in our meetings, if you like, prayer meetings, life group meetings, um, prayer ministry moments, Sunday mornings, we love it. And if you read around these chapters, you'll know it's, it's for our good, it's for our benefit. Phrases such as building up the church, phrases such as encouragement and strengthening and, and comfort come from the spiritual gifts being used and operated in. It's for the common good of the church, of us as a people. But it also, as it says here, they have impact. On unbelievers. They impact unbelievers in the room. It says the secrets of their hearts are exposed. It's conviction of sin. And not only that, faith is imparted. They will fall down and worship. Worship God. God is among you. Salvation can come through prophetic words the unbeliever, they can go from nothing good comes out of Nazareth, they can go from drink of water, what do you want to drink of water for (laughs) you can't ask me, you're a a Jew to this is the son of God and worship and witness, you know I've got a couple of examples even from our meetings I know about from the last couple of years Uh, and I know the people involved, I I won't won't share their identity but just for your your encouragement, this stuff happens maybe more than we realise, even here I think, are there any unbelievers in the room? We're not adding it up, are we? But God is at work. There was an occasion when a a prophetic word was shared about um, the picture and revelation of Jesus standing at the door and knocking and the handle being on the inside in the picture of Holman Hunt that he uh, painted of that scenario. That spoke to an unbeliever in this place so powerfully. They were talking about it years later. That's the thing they've remembered from being amongst us. What about our great teaching? Well, yeah, maybe. What about our clever words? What about our polished worship? Well, no, they remembered this. Another person who was coming for some time was really profoundly moved when two words came. One about a bouncy castle and one about a snake wrapping around their chest. You wouldn't have known how specific that was to her scenario. How precisely descriptive that was (laughs) you can't get your head around that can you but it was and it spoke deeply into her life i don't think either of these people yet have come to faith but they've come closer god is working on them it gives us faith that the conversation hasn't finished it can happen this is normal christianity I love praying the prayer in Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, when I'm thinking about mission and us being a missional people, you can look at chapter 4, verse 2 to 6 at some point, if you will. It's the last verse I think is relevant for today. It says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And in some ways, I could have applied to that, to this conversation Jesus had. It was full of grace, the message of grace, the tone of grace, the mode of grace. He was there. And yes, uh, he knew how to answer her. He was quick to answer, and he answered with questions, and he answered with answers, and he clarified deep, mysterious things that hadn't been solved for generations. Yeah, it was, what was the salt? What was a thing that stayed with her? What was the thing in her that made her thirsty? Like salt makes you thirsty, doesn't it? It was this word from the Holy Spirit about her circumstances. This revelation that made her thirsty. She left the water jar behind and ran to the town. I don't think Jesus ever got his drink. He wasn't really interested in lunch when it turned up either. That's what made us thirsty. Like the woman at the well. And I believe this can be normal for us. Normal for you and me. This is for us. Let me just encourage you with a few verses that Jesus shared, shared to his disciples. Firstly, from John 14, verse 12. find it here. He said this, Very truly, I tell you, uh, Yes. Um, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Like this kind of thing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That's his promise for us. And in Matthew 10 verse 19, more encouragement for us as we press on in our deeper conversations. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I'm sure there are many applications of how the Spirit can speak through us, but the key thing is we're not to worry. We're to believe that God would help us, even in situations where we're arrested if that would happen. In any situation where our knees are trembling, and like me, and I can end up going blah, 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 instead of sharing something of the gospel. Don't worry, he'll give you words to say. The Spirit will speak through you. And it may be a testimony, it may be some truth, or it may be some revelation. That he gives to you at that moment in time. You see, going back to our our encounter in John chapter 4, this was so encouraging for Jesus. This was so satisfying for him. We know he was tired. We know he was exhausted. We know he was hungry and he was thirsty. Yet when all those things turned up, he talked about something else. I'm being sustained by something else. I'm being nourished by doing the Father's will, by doing his will. I don't know if he really felt Samaria. Why am I going through Samaria? Maybe the Spirit just urged, go through Samaria to Galilee. But I'm I'm meant here for the the lost sheep of Israel. That was my primary objective. What am I doing by this well? Maybe he thought, I don't know. I'm in the will of God. This was the will of God. This conversation was the will of God. You know, sometimes we can identify with Jesus here. We're feeling tired. Thank you, Jesus. We're feeling exhausted. Thank you. We're on our own. Everyone's gone. This is my situation. This is where I am. Yeah, sometimes with people, sometimes on my own. And I'm passing through. I'm not really from round here. I don't belong here. I don't really want to live here anymore. I want to go somewhere. I think God's got somewhere else for me. This job, yeah, it's kind of okay. It's paying the bills, but it's not really what I want. It's not really the thing I'm looking for. It's not where I'm meant to be. I'm kind of tired of this now. It's in those moments still. We're not out of the will of God. We're in the will of God. If we do, as the Spirit leads us to do. So, a way forward for us. Just some suggestions, really, just some of my own personal jottings. Maybe you've got some already from this morning. You don't need any more. But well, these maybe are my ones. Number one, get into more conversations. That's definitely me. Firstly, spend time at the well. Verse 6, Jesus sat down by the well. He didn't plug his iPhone in. He didn't catch up on the news stories of the day. He sat by the well. He engaged with this woman. You take a lunch break. Your employer has paid you for a lunch break, legally, yours. You take even some of it. You end up munching the sandwich over the keyboard. Or you go out. See if someone else wants to come. Go for a walk with somebody that you bump into. I love online shopping. We're online shoppers. We've bought loads of Christmas presents online. But you know what? There's something about going shopping that's an opportunity. Physically going shopping. The conversation. Possibly. Are you sitting by the are you spending time at the well? In your, oh, is it too much? You're too busy. You're cramming in efficiency in every uh, portion of life. Do you linger in the front garden this time of year, or do you shut the front door, shut the car door, and go into the house? Isn't it true that we see so much more of our neighbours in the summer? Bow in the front lawn, weeding the front lawn, wiping the car, washing the car. Let's let's spend some more time at the well. Whatever that means for you, go for a walk. If you're in a coffee shop, go on your own. It feels awkward, doesn't it? Going on your own to a coffee shop. Not having a newspaper around my face. Just to see. Spend more time at the well. Start more conversations, number two, into this one. Start more conversations. Jesus asked a simple question. And I think it was a genuine one. It wasn't a trick one. If I get to talk about water, I can then talk about living water. No, he was thirsty. Can I have a drink of water, please? Can you pass the salt? Why don't we do these? That's, that's, that's for me anyway. That's my takeout. I want to start with genuine questions. They're not trick questions. They're simple questions. Jesus with great questions. questions. If anything else, just ask a question. Jesus even answers questions with asking questions. <laughs> Try that one. I think some of this goes back to what we looked at a, a year or so ago when we looked at the person of peace in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, the disciples were sent out in their pairs and told to take nothing, take nothing with you. Don't take a bag, don't take any money, don't take anything. Off you go. And I guess, therefore, when they turned up in a town, they kind of chatted to some folk to find out if they could stay the night. Could we stay here? We haven't got any money, but can we stay? I think think we've got permission to ask favors and see. And if we get a positive response, maybe that's a person of peace. Well, I haven't asked them anything about the gospel yet. I don't know if they're a person of peace. Well, just ask them a favor. I'm going to try it out. Uh, thirdly, I do feel something in here about targeting cross-culturally. Uh, I, I, was, I had lots on this one. Uh, I was going to put it early on. I, I was so motivated by it. But I'm going to save most of it up for another day. But just to point out, yes, of course, gender was a thing here. Of course it was. This is Jesus, a man, speaking to this woman. It was a big thing, big issue. It comes up in, in, in conversation. But I also think we mustn't miss this was a cross-cultural missional opportunity. This was a Jew speaking to a Samaritan. And if I don't I haven't got time to go into the background of it, but there was animosity, there was mistrust, there was separation for these people. John just helps us here in verse nine. He adds a bit of commentary to people who lived years later. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's all you need to know. He was crossing so many cultural divides here. It's unbelievable. I just encourage you, look out for cross-cultural opportunities. In your work team, at the school gate, in your class, in your clubs, down your street. Go for them. Target them. I think because often our bias, even subconsciously, is to shy go of people like us. Men who play badminton. Middle-aged men who play badminton on a th- when, you know, people like me. I'm a bit younger, so I'm a bit quicker. Um, no, we, we need to, we must. And I want to celebrate all the mix of people we've got here. I would have loved to find found out if anyone came to faith through a cross-cultural missional conversation. But anyway, we can do that another day. But go for it. Look out for those opportunities. Let me just share you this, this testimony, also this bless you, to remind you, for tinny. I can say 14 now she's gone, can't I? Yeah, because I can say that much better. Um, she, we didn't sow in her life. Alice sowed, others sowed. We had the g- glorious opportunity to reap in her life. This is this year she was baptized, got a bit of discipleship. We'd love her to, to stay a bit longer so she could get a bit more discipleship. What is she doing now? She's taken Quincy's Just Looking course. She's running a Just Looking course in Thessaloniki it, with the church she's been part of. She she's loves God, she loves the church, and she wants to help people share their faith. We're reaching Thessaloniki because of cross-cultural opportunities. Hallelujah. I think there's more of those for us. And secondly, a way forward, as well as getting into more conversations, is get more of the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? I know it's a question, and you might get fed up with us asking, but did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? We want you to come into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. These gifts of the Holy Spirit that Jesus operated in only happened... Not after his birth, after the Holy Spirit is poured out upon him at his baptism. Only after that did he operate in these supernatural ways. Secondly, if you have been, then eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy, says 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Eagerly desire. Hopefully I've whetted your appetite. Yeah, I might bless a few people at church. Someone at Life Group might be, you know, encouraged a little bit. No, the lost could be saved and reached, trust culturally even. Come on, let's eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Let's fan into flame, Paul uh, told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. Fan into flame the gift that you received through the laying on of hands. This is an active thing. So we're going to want and look for more spiritual gifts when we gather at our prayer meetings, when we pray and fast, in our life groups where we want to bless and encourage people, in our times together like this. Why? It's a win-win-win. Because people get blessed there and then. Even some of the believers get blessed through it. Builds them up it encourages them. But there may be unbelievers in the room. God may speak to them. And I think we should now begin to see this as preparation as we've exercised and grown in these gifts for missional opportunities. This is our, our arena now. It's for out there. And fifthly, we need to ask God, I think... Those of you who have these kind of gifts, we need to ask God for precision, for detail. We need to ask, Lord, well, give me wisdom alongside this, particularly if it's a negative one. Not all of them are, some are neutral, some are positive. We need love, we need to ask God for love, that we'll display love through this. There's a moment when a hole becomes a well. Jacob discovered that years and years ago in this dry bit of ground. He kept digging, he kept digging, he kept digging, and water came up. Thousands of years later, they're still benefiting from it. Jesus did the same in that conversation. He kept digging. He kept the conversation open. He stayed in the conversation long enough. And then the water flowed. The Spirit came. He got something. And he went with it. And our heart was changed. I think this led to the most successful two days of reaping ministry in Jesus' life, thus far at least. And it was among Samaritans. And I think we can too as we go deeper in our conversations in our commitment to look for those opportunities and with the things of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's stand together. Okay. Firstly, I'd love us just to put our hands up if this applies to you. If you have ever used a gift of the Holy Spirit in conversation with someone who's an unbeliever, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. A good smattering, loads of you, so encouraging. If you would like to use gifts of the Holy Spirit in missional conversations, put your hand up. Okay. Can I just ask, very briefly, uh, if, if you just put your hand up, keep your hand up, those of you who put your hand up to the first question, if you'd be up for it, could you just go around and simply lay your hand on that person and, say, and ask that God will gift them and receive. Or something of impartation, I believe, for this morning from those who have to those who want to. Okay? We're not making first class, second class, and third class Christians here. We're just doing a bit of impartation by the Holy Spirit. So if you put your hand up to the first question and you want to and you're happy to, got some faith, go around. Just simply pray on people who've got their hand up now who want to receive that. Yeah, let's do that quickly. Let's believe Holy Spirit's going to impart something to us. Yes, Lord. We're going to sing a song, a uh, saviour of the world. Carry on praying. It doesn't matter if it's a short prayer or you want to stay a bit longer and bring something to that person, that's fine. We're going to sing saviour of the world to echo the words that this town shouted at the end of the passage. And during this time, just listen out for the Holy Spirit. And after this song, there's going to be opportunity for people to share prophetic words, words of knowledge that might apply to people in this room. So we're going to go for it this morning as the Holy Spirit enables and gifts us. So we'll be listening out as we sing this song. Thank you, Jim.